0: Hello and welcome back to the D1 Softball Podcast. I'm your host this week, Tara Henry, D1 Softball Podcast, sponsored by S2 Cognition. I want to thank our friends at S2 for sponsoring the D1 Softball Podcast. And very excited about our guests this week, uh, none other than the Lincoln Martin. Uh, Lincoln, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here. (laughs)
0: Uh, so for those of you that don't know, Lincoln, I uh, was the 17th selection for the Orioles, uh, in the draft back, uh, back in the day, we'll say, and then uh, major league Sp- scout, uh 10 year major league scout, uh, was at Birmingham Southern played baseball at Birmingham Southern. We'll get into that a little bit and not arguably he is my m- most favorite person in the world. Uh, Lincoln, let's start there. Um, baseball where where did you start playing baseball why baseball when did that all come about
1: well I started playing baseball kind of young then I stopped playing for a while I was mainly a football player and then kind of got back into it with a friend of mine maybe around 13 and I think about sophomore year in high school kind of decided that I wanted to go after this baseball thing so kind of started working hard to you know, get a chance to be a pro baseball player.
0: And multi-sport athlete in high school, when, when did you exactly make that transition or decide that you were just going to play baseball?
1: Well, I played multi-sports the whole time. Basketball and baseball, because I felt basketball helped me get ready for baseball. I uh, stopped playing football going into my junior year. You know, um, like I said, I was, I think football was probably my best sport. It was the easiest sport, Um, but baseball was easier on my body, and I kind of wanted to go that route. And so we used basketball as like a warm-up and then focused mainly on baseball after that.
0: So you played our our college ball at Birmingham Southern. What did you learn when you were there? Uh, Switch hitter and... Picked up a couple bags, I think, in time. You could steal some bases back in the day. Uh, what did you learn at Birmingham Southern?
1: Well, I played for a Brian Shute who was probably one of the most influential people, like, in my career as far as a baseball player. Right? He taught, you, taught me about being a man, you know, being responsible, having integrity, you know, and the way he went about the, his business as a coach pretty much aided in, you know, everything we did from playing. His amount of detail in preparation from leads to situations to playing the game was, like, extraordinary. It was probably the most detail I've ever had from a coach in any system through pro ball or anywhere. You know, so it really taught you that. Like, the details matter, and, you know, he didn't leave any stones unturned.
0: And so play for Birmingham Southern and then drafted by the Orioles. And your rookie card that I have uh, says you're 70 of 93 in stolen bases. Uh, It's a pretty good percentage. Uh, What was your favorite part of the game when you were playing pro ball? Uh, You were a switch hitter, so you hit obviously from both sides of the plate. But what was your favorite part of the game when you were were playing for the Orioles?
1: Just the game. Uh, Being on the field. I always felt like. When you were inside the, I guess, on the field, surrounded by the stands, like that was your free time. It was kind of your little safe place where you could kind of do what you wanted to do, be who you wanted to be. And it was the one place kind of you were a little bit untouchable. Because, you know, people would yell all kind of things and say stuff. But out there, you were kind of shielded from that, being that they couldn't come on the field. So just playing the game, just, you know, enjoying the competition piece of it between pitcher and hitter you know, defensive situations um, from cuts and relays to turning a good double play, you know, just kind of enjoying the game of, you know, baseball inside the game.
0: Biggest challenge you face as a baseball player?
1: Doing it every day. It's hard. The game is hard out there, especially at that level and being really consistent with it. Uh, It's tough because you, you have to you have to learn failure in a little bit different way. You know, most of us out of college or high school are super successful, and you succeed at a pretty high rate. You go to pro ball, and that rate goes down pretty fast, and you start having to realize what success is at that level.
0: So finish pro ball and go into scouting. What was that transition like for you?
1: Weird. Honestly, um, I didn't really think it was – kind of for me, because I resisted it for a little while. And then I remember I went to a meeting in Houston, and we left there and showed up at the, in Florida at Jupiter for the Warwood Bat. And when I walked out there, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And then from there, you know, we kind of went from there, but up to that point, I didn't think I was making a good decision. Why? I don't know. I just, just wasn't sure that it was my place where I wanted to be. But I know that was a season for me that I, I actually needed to do that.
0: So you go through scouting and then at some point get into private uh hitting and, and batting lessons for baseball. Uh, but I want to get into your transition from baseball uh, to softball. So how did that come about did you coach baseball first and then get into softball uh where did that come into to your life
1: well when I finished I was kind of going to be done a little bit and I had a buddy of mine uh who wanted me to work some of his kids Walt Hudson and so he kind of convinced me to do some lessons at the building at the office and so I kind of started there and then end up coaching a travel team of his that you know was like I don't know, Georgia Knights, kind of like nobody's in the game and developed some pretty good players. And it was pretty cool because those kids kind of turned into college players and actually became really good players. And from there, I'd always have a softball kid here and there, but the industry kind of had different thoughts on hitting and that stuff, not really different thoughts, just like I didn't know anything about the industry and it was not very offensive at that point. And so it was a lot of argument when it come to like hitting. So I was just like, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with this until Patrick Lewis, good friend of mine, kept coming to me about helping his daughter. And so Mallory Lewis. And so that's kind of where I started. That led to another one or two. And then, you know, I would have people call and come by and want to know some things talk hitting and i didn't really understand why but i guess some kids that went out there and they were starting to play well and do things and so coaches started wanting to know you know where they come from
0: so coaches want to know where these kids come from so you transition from baseball to softball uh, start working with patrick lewis uh then start to have kids come to your facility what made you switch and go more towards the softball side? What what was the differences that you saw in a softball athlete rather than a baseball athlete?
1: Well, early on, you know, I just started little by little being I guess bombarded with softball. You know, and people just started coming and coming and coming and then, you know, after working with the girls, I was like really impressed with like even at a young age the seriousness or the focus, very coachable. And, you know, I, I felt like they worked more consistently and were more bought in. Um, I love the baseball guys, but they're a little more challenging at a younger age because, you know, it's a lot more of a there and some back and forth, which is cool. But once I started working with some of the female athletes, it was kind of refreshing because they kind of push you, you know, in a good direction because they just wanted to get better so bad. And they had really good support from families. And so it was kind of easy once I started down that road, you know, I had to learn a little bit about their game and what was going on. And so that's kind of what I, you know, scouting piece kind of helped in that because I did the same thing on the baseball side.
0: And that leads me straight into my next question. What did you learn from scouting that has really benefited you in terms of player development? Obviously, in running top tier sports and and really uh, a proponent for player development and something that you know and love, what do you think from scouting that you brought over that helps uh, in terms of player development?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing is being able to evaluate. Um, and I think if you can evaluate like well, then you're already behind the eight ball in regard to player development, because a lot of times kids at a younger age aren't gonna show you everything. They'll show you spurts of things. And if you know what like the right kind of things look like, it makes it easier when you're trying to put a puzzle piece together. Usually with me, I try to see, like when I start with them, I usually have an ending in mind. It may take years to get there, but when I see them it's like I get a picture of like what this could end up being and Everything along that way is kind of trying to get there.
0: What factors do you use to evaluate talent?
1: Explain what you mean by
0: factors. So, what do you? What parameters when you look at an athlete? So, let's say somebody's watching this: a coach, um, a player, uh, a parent. When you're evaluating talent, what are you looking for in terms of uh, a nice player? Uh, or, you know, that, that, that's a good player. She has the potential to be an All-American.
1: Well, from a scouting standpoint, it would be tools, you know, like running, throwing, hitting for average, hitting for power, um, and fielding, the defensive skills. And there's things that go into each part of that. Um, and also a piece I think that's hard to define But sometimes if you're random enough, you can get a sense of that. Uh, And I can give examples is makeup. And it's kind of the stuff that they're made of. And usually those kids who have those things usually get to their ceiling.
0: And let's say a a coach is watching this or a parent or a player. What are three things, three low hanging fruit that they can do right away to get better, to get noticed, um, by college coaches, what's three like low hanging fruit that they can easily do
1: to get noticed. Yep. Hmm. I would say that's, I don't know if that's an easy one question. Um, I think, I'll give an example, our kids get noticed, I think, because they're preparing in the dark. Like they're always getting ready to be seen. And I think if, kids have to learn up a little bit about like who they are. And the biggest thing you're gonna see at a young age and some of those things that get attention by the way is skill. work on the skill stuff that you have to work on but prepare start preparing right now for what you're going to be you know down the road it's a hard one for me because i don't know if there's low hanging fruit because i can give an examples of every who kids who are at really high places who early on were looked past because they just wasn't their time they didn't have super good skills at the time. Um, I would say this, a low-hanging fruit is have fun, enjoy, like be the kid on the field that looks like they love to play softball. I think that's a good thing because if you're younger and you have some of that, you know, and you can play, it's going to stand out.
0: Joy. So I think probably um, watching a player that plays a game with joy is probably one of the biggest things that, um, I notice and obviously enjoy when you see a player that's having fun. Um, well, I mean, I make you kind of dive into that a little bit because it uh, was a broad answer. You've worked with, I think we were counting the other day, 50, 50 plus more players that have been in the SEC um, or in Division I. Uh You've seen good players uh, turn into All Americans and Players of the Year. In terms of, a player that you've seen, or can you give an example of how their game kind of kicked up a notch to where they went from a good or great player to an All-American uh, that you've witnessed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had a few of those. Um, not to say like like names, but I worked with a player who performed very average in college. And through some, I think, ownership and perspective and routine and learning how to how to take care of some things that they needed to do, like as a player, turned into an All-American. Um, Got a bunch of those. And I think what you're searching for in that is ownership, I think, is the big part that I've seen kids change things. When they take ownership of stuff, some cool things usually happen because that part becomes about them and not so much about being told what to do. And honestly, I think in the industry, especially in the hitting world, their kids are pretty much told, you know, how to swing, how to move, how to play. So they don't have anything that's natural to them a lot, you know, it's, they're very much products of like where they come from. And so sometimes the individuality of the kids are taken away. And a lot of times we try to give that back because I learned something is that if they don't own it, then, when they trying to play the game and it matters the most, like they're doing it with your swing, not theirs, you know? And so we try to get them to a place where they have some ownership over their own swing and understanding what they need to do to be successful. And in that, you know, they usually find, you know, some answers, you know, because perspective changes.
0: And you speak about ownership and giving ownership to a hitter. You've worked with various college uh, programs across the country. Uh, you've worked with various hitting coaches across the country. What do you think is the biggest um, roadblock uh, in terms of when players get into college or get into universities and they're hitting with, or they're with their hitting coaches or, or what, do you, what do you think is the biggest issue that players um, have in adjusting when they get into college?
1: Well, I said like this, I think the biggest issue is not really knowing the player and the player's swing and things that the player needs. I think sometimes in the system, you have to have like some foundational things, but I think sometimes because it's easier, blanket statements or blanket ways become problematic, you know, when you have, you know, 17, 18 hitters, just because it's just so much stuff. Like we've heard the saying that like everything is right and everything is wrong. Um, and I can give you examples of saying the right thing and then the right thing producing a wrong result. And so long time ago, we figured out years ago that you better speak a bunch of languages you know, and be willing to say whatever they needed to help them. And I think in the college game that I think people are afraid to have variety in feeling that you don't have a a strict foundation. And sometimes the less bias you have is actually because you have the most information. So I'll give an example that if if I lose bias, then I can coach whatever's in front of me. Swing up, swing down, push your back leg, turn behind your front side. I can say anything, do anything. And the fact that I understand all those things allow me to coach multiple people and get to good results. Because I'm not tied to anything. Getting them to hit is the answer. And I just think sometimes that we miss that piece, is that the game is the answer in regard to hitting. And I will say one other thing that I noticed with a lot of colleges is that there's not enough good routine. They don't know what they need every day. And I'm not talking about drills, because drills are cool, but... Kids can do drills that don't benefit them. And I just think sometimes I've seen players who, with the right routine and consistency in that, it literally kept their swing healthy.
0: Routine. Let's go into that. What do you mean by routine?
1: You go to a major league game behind the scenes that most people don't get to see. You have big leaguers who are doing the same tight bucket of drills every day that that help cure a tendency, keep a tendency away, or emphasize something that they need to play the game the right way, you know? Um, which is like, I may do a ton of work working middle oppo, but you look at their spray charts in the game and it's mostly pull. Well, why is that, Why is the approach so much middle, uh, middle oppo? Well, middle oppo is... Allowing them to pull the ball efficiently when the efficiently when the game starts. Or just when you understand what a player needs, you know, if I'm doing my individual moves, my out moves, my routine of things, whether it's one-hand drills, whether it's angle toss, whatever it is, sticks, holes, things that hitters do, if they're done on a consistent base, you do what a good friend of mine, Nate, said is that you. You, you you keep the swing healthy, right? It's like keeping the swing healthy. And if you do that, you don't have to get it healthy. And it just keeps the boogeyman away. It keeps things in a place where my best swing can show up every day.
0: And when you talk about a healthy swing, you talk about taking away bias. That was going to be my next question, but you covered it um, in terms of What you've seen in the hitting industry now, obviously, been a a part of Blast, you're a part of Blast Sensors, uh, the 108 water bags, uh, motor preference. There are so many tools out there that coaches can use, that players can use. What do you think is the most effective in terms of you as a hitting coach, uh, and understanding how to use those tools, uh, to? maybe bring a better routine uh, or help that player develop in terms of player development. Because I think y- you have a unique perspective in that you've worked in club and travel ball. You've worked in uh, the college level uh, with various division one programs. You've worked internationally with uh, various federations uh, With all those tips and tricks tricks and tools and all the stuff we see on YouTube, uh, I want to get your thoughts on, on how you use that or not use it.
1: Well, early on, for me, it's weird. Every time I started going down any rabbit hole too much, like over when tech got really bad, I went down that thing too much. I always lose my instinct to coach. So I would go down the next thing and it would go too far. And it's like, I don't know what happened. I just like, I can't see anymore. I lose my field of coach I back away. I get it back. So I started learning that none of us, the answer, all of it can have places in what's happening, but I always had a thing for a long time is that I just kept saying, we don't, we're not taking the person into context and. I can prove it years ago, like first starting, taking boys to the mall to making them talk to girls because I knew that they fear and that stuff was so big that if they could do something that was hard, they could stand in the box and swing. And once they could do that, they did. So they're like, how'd you get them to hit? I was like, I took them to the mall on Saturday instead of hitting and they talked to girls and they were like, that's stupid. But I'm like, no, actually it isn't stupid because what happens internally produce, affects what happens externally. And we never affect that kind of person, how they see themselves, what they think, how they feel. If it doesn't, if that affects the outcome and what you're getting on the outside, you better start learning how to affect that system. And we work in a way where those things can kind of happen. So. A lot of times what we do is very relational because it takes time to get to know who the person is and those kind of things. But far as tool wise, like, I think if you look at things from a part like um, system, like there's things that help build up the system, you know, like I think the Waterback stuff at 108 does is great because they have a super great system. And those are things that are applicable to everyone because it can help build up your system. But then it's learning how to coach an individual swing, where it may be where the order of things are out of place, or the upper body and lower body moves don't match. And so you can add balancing moves, or you can help someone who's trying to do something naturally, who takes it away, actually emphasize what they're trying to do, and it turns into really good things i think that's the two sides some of the things like are are super good to implement because they can give you system things that you don't have to think about but i think where things get separated is when you have to actually coach the individual swing with the things that you're seeing and that's where i think time and understanding and those things actually come into play
0: so you didn't touch on motor preferences huh motor preferences what do you think about motor preferences and how that interacts with uh a a hitter's move or their balance because i think it's a hot topic and people are talking about it but in terms of how we use that in order to uh help a hitter what what information have you seen that has helped in that manner
1: well if you talk to people who known me for a long time I've always fought not fought but I've always like thought we were too far system wise like you know like we all had to had this universal hinge that looked alike and I'm like no actually the players are hinging like you um not like themselves or you know just so many systemized things and I was just like Like I I got kids who blow that up every day, and I've been doing this a long time. And I'm telling you, I got kids in a cage who spin their back foot, who swing in the game and their back foot's off the ground and kicks behind them. And so they're just like, you don't see the foot spinning. I'm like, did you see the game? And so I start realizing that, like, the game was my answer. And if it worked in the game, I've seen some kids who are pushy in the cage who swing in the game is like a different thing. And I'm like, what is going on? And so with that part from years and years, I start realizing that like, there's gotta be like, there's way more natural stuff happening that I felt like we were getting in the way of what the hitters were doing, because some of the best swings that we developed, we did the less amount of stuff too. And With that, I I knew the minute I heard about the motor preference thing, I I knew in my gut that this was right, because in my heart, I've been headed that way for a long time. I just didn't have any foundation in it. Well, no, I do have foundation in it. (laughs) I didn't have any language for it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I watched a video, I think, from four years ago when you're talking basically about motor preference and how uh every hitter needs something different and it's not all about having a, a cookie cutter swing I want to end with player development obviously uh that is not obviously but most people don't know that is your passion I think player development is very important to you um and what are you seeing I think in the next couple years in terms of hitting because, We've seen a big shift and it has become a, an offensive game. It has become a power game, which you said earlier uh, in the podcast, it wasn't always that way. Uh, what is the big shift that you're seeing right now in softball in terms of, of hitting?
1: I think the kids are stronger and there's a ton of information. I think the ones that are doing it really, really well um, are doing more than just hitting or swing. Um, you have to, You have to do the whole piece a little bit in regard to hitting development. And I'll just say that, you know, having a good swing is good, but knowing how to swing and knowing who you are as a hitter can be just as productive. Because I got All-Americans who I can tell you they have problems in their swing, but they know that and they know how to combat that, and it didn't affect anything, you know, and so I think the hitting world's in a good place, but I think think the creativity piece in it is going to get higher, and I think people are going to start maybe asking for more, asking more questions and looking for more answers, not just for the perfect drill that's going to make someone hit because those don't really exist.
0: In terms of having a plan, uh, another uh, big uh, plan that I've seen on various uh, interviews that you've done is you always say hunt the middle. What does it mean to hunt the middle? Hmm.
1: Well, I don't know. I did a test early on where I had a bunch of kids come in and I put things on the plate and I said, okay, you're gonna look middle in, And then I put a ball right beside of the middle ball to the opposite side, and I said, what would you do? They said, duh, I would take. And I was like, why? They said, well, it's not middle in." I'm like, well, still down the middle. So I did the other side for the next crew, and the exact same answer. They looked at me as if I was like dumb, like, come on, man, like, we're gonna take. It's not. A, it's not middle away, and I'm like, whoa. And so I heard, like, you know, one of the better hitters in our game, Paul Goldsmith, talk about hunting the middle and what it does for your eyes. And I was thinking, like, wow, what a great, you know, approach, especially when you will usually swing where your eyes are the closest. So you face a screwballer and you look in, you're probably going to swing off the plate in a lot. Same thing with the ball away. But if my eyes stay middle, now the ball has to start in a better place. And it puts my eyes in a better place to adjust and to adapt. And I just think it's a simple approach. But it's actually really, really effective because I had a college hitter who had a great year for last year. And I won't say any names, but she literally did that the whole year. And they do a lot of in and out. And she was just like, well, you hunting middle? I'm like what? You are supposed to be like this? Nope. I'm only hunting middle, and she said it was amazing what it did for her. It changed everything because it kept her eyes in a good spot. Why? Well, I hit that pitch better than all the other ones. So, if I can keep the ball on the plate, starting in a good spot, I have a chance.
0: So we'll end with this, and and there's going to be a lot of coaches and players that are are watching and listening to this um, podcast. Uh, what advice would you give uh, a coach uh, in terms of building relationships with their players and, and how important that is uh, moving forward and for player development?
1: Have dialogue. Like Create open dialogue. Listen to them. They'll tell you. That's what I do. I go into places. And I don't know anything about these people. So I watch everything from how they walk, talk, interact. I can tell when someone know parts of you. And I will literally give them their space until the right situation comes. And if it doesn't, I don't because I respect them that much. And I think when you have dialogue and you don't come in in a way trying to show everyone how smart you are, but that you actually find out what makes them tick, like what things they like. They'll lead you to the answers in their swing that you may see. And now you got some common ground and now they can take ownership. And I just think that dialogue piece is huge. Like, have it. It takes some time, but there's a respect thing. You know, like, I'm the coach. I'll show you what I know. No, oh, like, because the reality is is that none of us are any good without the player. So, I don't know. I just have a high regard for the athlete, the player, and the person in front of me. And I think when you do that, um, you know, they feel that. And... You know how they open up to you you're going to get some answers that may lead you to something that goes on you know so i would say the dialogue build some dialogue and some trust factor there
0: well we've got plenty of good nuggets i think for coaches and players to hang on to and hopefully i can get you back on here to do this more regularly because i do think you have such a gift uh to share with the softball world and we're so lucky to have you uh, with that said, that's Lincoln Martin on the D1 Softball Podcast. Lincoln, any final thoughts?
1: Um, no, thanks for having me. And actually, I have like 50 players or so currently playing right now, I'm like 30 in the SEC. But currently, uh, yeah, with a bunch of all-conference and. Um, successful players. So shout out to those kids.
0: Yeah. Well maybe we can get you back on here and we can talk about some of them. Uh we know that's hard for you, but um, currently that many players in the SEC. So we, we'll get into uh historically how many uh hitters um and human beings you influenced in the game. Uh we we didn't even scratch the surface uh you on your reach uh in the softball world but we're just going to start small here and hopefully we can we can uncover those stones uh in the near future that's lincoln martin on the d1 softball podcast sponsored by s2 cognition tara henry uh, i hope everybody has a great week any questions you can send us an email info at d1 softball.com uh, you can always uh, try and connect with us on Twitter uh, at D1 Softball, uh, myself at No Terrible Days uh, on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the D1 Softball podcast. We'll see you all next week.